switching up things in our podcast during my time at sabbatical. I'm releasing sermons from the vault, and uh, that's not because I don't think the guys who are preaching at Woodland Friends Church right now are worth your ear. It's just that I am literally the tech crew at Woodland Friends Church. Woodland Friends sees about uh, 30 to 50 people, but uh, a lot of them are older, and a lot of the guys who could be doing my tech work, I really just don't want to twist their arms and give them jobs to do while I'm gone. Uh, So, releasing sermons from the Sermon Vault. Today, we're going to hear the first sermon from a series I did on Habakkuk uh, back in August 2015. Uh, Woodland was struck with a huge uh, fire, literally fire on all sides of our hill. This sermon comes the Sunday before all that began. So it was very timely for us. And uh, I believe this may have been one of those times where I recorded my uh, testing. So this was like probably you know the Thursday or Friday before the actual Sunday, and I really didn't start recording my Sunday sermons until about 2016, audio-wise, and then with COVID, that's when I started um, broadcasting them via Facebook. So, I hope you enjoy this sermon from Habakkuk, chapter 1. We'll catch you next week. Let's just uh, begin, if we can, with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you would give me, that you would give all of us, to open up your word that you've inspired from ages past, that you can interpret today for us. Father, in them we find words of life, words of power. Your son Jesus, whenever he came to earth, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will not. And in fact, he would open up the Bible and it Scripture says that he's, he's interpreted the law and the prophets and everything else concerning him. So help us today as we learn from your word, one of the prophets, that you would show us Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we know that you rose Jesus from the grave to save us from our sins, and we know that you live today teaching us, guiding us, leading us, convict us, encourage us, and comfort us. Whatever you would wish to do, we pray that we would be open to what you would say to us. We ask and pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, whom we love and love to serve. Amen. You know, I believe there was a time in my life as a Christian where I discovered that the New Testament might be more readable, more interesting, uh, maybe more reader-friendly than the Old Testament. But then there came a time, I don't know when or why, and I think it was around the time of my graduating high school that I had to discipline myself. I had to force myself to start reading more Old Testament. And this is because I believe that our church fathers included it in our Bible because they felt that, that God had inspired the writing of these books. And quite frankly, this is the Bible that Jesus read. So shouldn't I need to read them? And couldn't God speak through them? Well, Jesus believed that God spoke through them. Well, in one of the pastors I listened to online, um, he had his own series on a few books of the Old Testament. I listened to a series on Esther. I listened to a, a series on Ruth. And, and this was just amazing to me. And I, and I listened to them, and I found that there was this deep fruit, this deep, deep fruit that you can gain 
from reading the Old Testament. And also he went through a series on Malachi, and that was just blew me away. Like, this is an old prophet. You know, the small books that you still need the table of contents to look for, if you're like me. So preaching through, through such a book was just foreign to me, especially to, to occupy time on Sunday mornings for this. And furthermore, as for the series of Malachi, I think they even used the Advent season to preach through it. And outside of a very small selection of verses, Malachi really isn't your usual wise men, baby Jesus type stories. But nevertheless, the sermons were good, and, and God spoke through them. And so as I was flipping through Old Testament prophets more, I really felt drawn to Habakkuk for, more, for many reasons. And the biggest reason being is where Job is a story about a man who has great evil done to him, and he questions God for it. Habakkuk is a story about um, a person who witnesses great evil. And he is conflicted because Habakkuk seems to have this unshakable, tender-hearted faith towards God. So much so that Habakkuk will never question if God exists. But Habakkuk is conflicted because if we suppose, if we presume, if we admit that God does exist, what is he doing, if anything, about evil that's being done? Where is God at? What is he is he doing? Is he in charge? Is he not affected by the evil that we see? These are lots of questions. I could be wrong, but I believe these are lots of questions that many people ask. But before we dive into scriptures, let's just get a little relevant and necessary background. First of all, if you want to flip there, Habakkuk is near the back of your Old Testament. So Malachi is that last book of the Old Testament. And so if you're going backwards from Malachi, you'll see Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah, and then you come to Habakkuk. And if you're wondering, I actually have a book called the Bible Pronunciation Guide, and it lists preferred pronunciations of biblical terms. And so the preferred pronunciation is Habakkuk, not Habakkuk. Or Habakkuk, or you know. So I'll just try to pronounce it properly. I might mess up every now and then. About, but about the name of Habakkuk, he is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. And his name is derived from a Hebrew word, which means embrace. Which may be the case. And it's because it seems that through dialogue, uh, God embraces Habakkuk and just holds him through all the tough questions. Though we may not answer all of them. However, there is another speculation about the origins of his name that is worth mentioning, and that is Habakkuk may come from an Assyrian word uh, that really describes a wild plant or fruit. And this is worth mentioning because if Habakkuk is an Assyrian name, then Habakkuk might not even be traditionally or originally Jewish, and in fact may be a pagan convert, which would be interesting. Habakkuk is more than likely a contemporary of the prophets, uh, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, maybe even Ezekiel and Daniel. He's prophesying at the time, or right before the time, of the fall of Judah. Now Judah is the southern kingdom, this is the last kingdom of what used to be the combined nation of Israel. And if you're like me, you need pictures and diagrams and timelines, and so just to get a picture of time, we have... David becoming king around 1010 B.C. 
We have Solomon becoming king about 40 years later in 971 B.C. Israel and Judah split around another 40 years later in 931 B.C. Well, then the northern kingdom, Israel, it falls to the Assyrians around 210 years later. This is in 722 or 21 B.C. And so the time of Habakkuk is 110 years later after this, narrowed down to anywhere between 609 or 605 B.C. Because in Habakkuk's writing, it seems that the Babylonian, or also the name is the Chaldeans, it seems that their invasion is imminent if it's not happening. And it actually took Babylon three deportions, excuse me, three deportations of the southern kingdom of Judah. And this happened around 587 or 586 B.C., so this is about 30 years after the writing of Habakkuk. And this deportation is whenever you have Daniel taken into captivity. So this is what's happening. And then the Habakkuk is in the southern kingdom of Judah. And from the text we see that he's primarily concerned with two things. First of all, he's concerned with the sinfulness and the betrayal of Judah, his own nation, to God. And secondly, he's concerned about the growing threat of Babylon, or the Chaldeans as they were called. It's important to understand that um, Habakkuk is organized as a series of primarily complaints. And then it is concluded with a prayer. Now these complaints are really just tough questions, which is what we're calling the series, tough questions pitted against God. And these complaints are usually followed by God's response. And so in that way, Habakkuk is a, is a little bit more of a peculiar prophet. You see, in this book, it is more of a, a prophet speaking to God on behalf of the people, as opposed to most prophets speaking to the people on behalf of God. With all that being said, we're going to start in our text today. So as I said, Habakkuk is comprised of the first two chapters of questions and responses. So let's read Habakkuk's question to begin with. The first verse in chapter 1 starts off with the, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. I'm just going to stop right there for a few seconds. First off, we see this word oracle, which is often in many of the prophetic books. You know, oracle is said to come to many prophets, and it's actually better translated as the word burden, which kind of implies that the word that God has chosen to reveal through this prophet is a burden to the speaker. As if he needs to get this off of his chest. This is something the Lord has put in his mouth that Habakkuk needs to speak. Secondly, Habakkuk says that he's a prophet. And again, uh, this is though this may be his job, or he may usually be a prophet on speaking on behalf of God, Habakkuk is writing more as a skeptic here as he's speaking on behalf of the people to God. Look at what Habakkuk says. Verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Or, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. 
and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. These are some steep accusations. You know, I feel like in in many churches today, or in many Christian circles, some people listening to Habakkuk, if he were around and saying these things, they might have a tendency to condemn him. You can't say those things to God. You, You can't accuse him of that. That's wrong. Habakkuk starts by saying, O Lord, which literally is Yahweh, And I believe that this is important because I want you to see that Habakkuk, through this entire book, is a staunch believer. He uses the Lord's covenantal name. He doesn't beat around the bush and say, Oh, Lord of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, or God of our forefathers, as in obviously you are around them, but maybe you don't exist because I don't see you now. No, instead God is using Excuse me, Habakkuk is using God's covenantal name. You know, God said he is I am, and Yahweh literally means he is. So Habakkuk is is saying, he is. You who exist, you who I follow. And I wonder if this is you. Is your faith that strong? You see, a lot of people go through terrible ordeals, whether it be in Habakkuk's case on a massive and international scale, world crisis, or it might be in Job's case where it's personal tragedy and devastation. And what happens is a lot of people let these problems cause the believer to question the existence of God. Not the case with Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, okay, God, you are real. But what that does is lead Habakkuk to a place of of asking questions where many of us, I think, are afraid to go. Many of us find it more comfortable to say, God may not be real, because then we don't have to question God, and why did this happen, or that happen, and where was God? I believe Habakkuk has a strong relationship with God. Habakkuk, throughout this whole book, questions a lot of things about God's actions, but never questions God's existence. God is alive. God is real. But it is that fact that drives Habakkuk to to the questions and the accusations he's going to make. The often uncomfortable and tough questions that many of us are afraid to make. Look at what Habakkuk says. How long shall I cry for help? And you not hear. Or cry to you violence. And you will not save. How long? Habakkuk says. Why is Habakkuk crying out how long? How, he says, how long will you hear my prayers? How long will you see violence and do nothing? How long will you see iniquity and wrongdoing? Sin, that is, that is, and you're not going to respond. Are you not going to judge? 
How long will you see destruction or violence or strife and contention? Why does Habakkuk cry in this manner? Because if we lived in a polytheistic world where there are good gods and bad gods and they control the cosmos and if they control the spiritual world and the physical world, you see, this would not be a problem. If we lived in a world where no God exists, then there would be no hope and no righteous judge and these things would freely exist. But Habakkuk believes we live in a world made by the sovereign God and an infinitely good God. And Habakkuk says... God, there is so much sin here, so much wrongdoing, and you are a good God. I'm upset, aren't you? Where are you, God? And what I want you to see here is that it is okay to do that. Habakkuk did it. Jesus did it on the cross. He says, God, why have you forsaken me? It's okay to ask this tough question. And like Habakkuk, evidenced by his words, how long shall I cry? This indicates that this is a deeply distressed cry. Someone who has been waiting with worry, waiting with fright over what's happening. It's okay to look at the mess with Planned Parenthood and say, God, doesn't that bother you? Are you going to do anything? It's okay to look at our society and see the overwhelming giving into sin, the overwhelming indifference to the God of the Bible, the overwhelming carelessness of God and all things that he has established in wonder and said, God, are you going to do something? God, doesn't this bother you? God, where are you? And this is Habakkuk's heart. Many believe that Habakkuk is, is asking this these questions during the reign of Jehoiakim. This is the last king of uh, Judah. Many of you might remember in the book of Kings, 2 Kings, about King Josiah. He comes across the law in the temple as if, you know, it's been lost. And so he says, oh, we're not following this law. Let's, let's do that. Let's reform Judah. Let's return to God. And so that happens. But as happens oftentimes even in this country with different presidents and different personalities, Josiah dies and his son Jehoiakim comes along and says, we don't care about that stuff. My guess is he probably looked back in history and say, well, we've got along fine without God before. I really don't like him. And so he does what is evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, Jeremiah actually records Jehoiakim throwing the prophecy revealed to Jeremiah for Jeremiah to put onto scrolls. Jehoiakim gets a hold of that paper and tosses it into the fire. People are not worshiping God. People are worshiping other gods. Gods that demand children's sacrifice. And you and I kind of know what that looks like one way or another. Gods that are just really demonic. Like literally demons. And Habakkuk, like you or me at times, looks at the world and says, I'm not okay with this. And I feel powerless to do anything about it. And so I, I look to you, God, and you're supposed to be a good God. And what are you doing? Where are you? How long do I have to ask this of you, God? Days, weeks, months, years? When or are you going to do something? Is this your heart's cry? Have you been there? Look at what Habakkuk considers 
the problem to be. Verse 4 again. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. And justice goes forth perverted. Again, Jehoiakim may be reigning. And unlike his father, Jehoiakim throws out the word of God. And so the law is paralyzed. The word law, excuse me, the word law here is Torah. The first five books of the Bible. The word paralyzed might better be translated as numb. And so it's numb. Likewise, the people are just calloused to it. You know, they might say back to people like Habakkuk, Oh, Habakkuk, it's just an old book written by an old fart named Moses. He has no idea where we're at now. We've moved beyond Mount Sinai. We're separated from Egypt. We are more advanced. We're progressed as a people. Look at how far we've come. We don't need these rules, Habakkuk. And without those rules, justice never goes forth. Kids are dying in the fire daily. Widows are mistreated. People do what they want to do, and it leads them to destruction. The wicked surround the righteous. You know what's interesting is most people believe that here Habakkuk, he's not talking about any other nation except for Judah. There's no foreign invaders yet. He's talking about wicked Citizens of Judah. Jews who have fallen away from the faith in God. Wicked surround the righteous. I wonder if you feel that way. You know, the Bible doesn't seem to really matter to anyone. As for believers and people who say, hey, let's worship God. Let's do what God wants us to do while, while we're surrounded by people who hate God. People who are wicked. And therefore, justice goes forth perverted. There is no hope. There is no help for widows, for orphans, for the unborn. There is no justice that takes place that is in line with what God would want. I mean, have you ever read through the Torah? First five books of the Bible. God has some pretty strict laws, and, and God sets up some rules and makes sure that justice is done. And it seems in Habakkuk's time that justice was not being carried out. Maybe murderers got only a few years of that. Widows were just tossed aside. Maybe they were forced into prostitution. Kids were burnt in the fire and justice was perverted. It's a society where evil prevails. Crime takes place. No one is held accountable and the courts do not even work. Justice never takes place. So again, where are you, God? You're not talking to us now, and nobody reads what you inspired for us through Moses, through the Torah. So where are you? Are you not speaking? The voice of the Lord needs to be obeyed. The voice of the Lord needs to be prevalent in your life and in mine. Here we see what happens when God is drowned out. His words aren't heard. He is grieved to silence, he is unable to speak because everybody is muffling him out. This is what happens. So God's voice is necessary. So Habakkuk cries out desperately. How will God respond? You see, I wonder if you and I would maybe 
never would want to take it this far. Would never want to ask God these questions. I can think of at least two reasons why we wouldn't. The first reason, probably being the most prevalent reason, that is, what if God does not respond? You see, some of you feel more comfortable not even asking these questions and just assuming he doesn't exist, as opposed to asking these questions and not hearing anything back. And then at that point, maybe concluding that he doesn't exist. You know, what if God didn't respond to Habakkuk? I mean, these are some tall orders. And I want you to see here that it's not like Habakkuk just sat down on day one and decided to write all this out. It seems evidenced by his words, Habakkuk's words, that these are deep-rooted concerns that have been bothering him daily. He hates getting up in the morning reading the news because it shows him again the depravity of the world that he's in. He hates hearing about the court's decisions because it reminds him that he's in a world that hates God. By lying daily, saying he doesn't even exist. I believe Habakkuk is crying from years of persistent concern over what's just and what's good and is God going to respond. And some of you never ask these questions because you're afraid he might not respond. And I would say that God is more than welcome to not respond. He's God. I believe God is a good father. And should you voice your concerns, God may respond. But he may respond. And give you another reason why you may not want to ask him in the first place. You see, reason two of why people might not ask God the tough questions is he might respond. And he might respond in a way that we don't like. God, did you see the towers fell on 9-11 when it took my friends and when it took my family? Yes, I did. That bothers me. I am saddened by it. Well, that offers very confusing comfort because aren't you powerful enough to stop that sort of thing? I am. Well, then why didn't you? Because I see things that you don't. Lots of true responses doesn't always offer us the comfort, the closure, the responses that we want, though. Some of you don't take it as far as Habakkuk because you're afraid that he won't respond or you're afraid that he will say. You're afraid of what he will say when he does respond. Habakkuk's made his case. The world is totally jacked up, God. We're supposed to be your chosen people and you're supposed to be a good God, so where are you? God responds. What is he going to say? He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God knows what he's talking about. You know, in some ways he's just said, you asked me, buddy. And I can't help it if you believe me or not whenever I tell you the truth about where I'm at. But I want you to notice a difference of viewpoints here. See, Habakkuk in essence has just said, Judah, Judah, wretched and depraved Judah. But what does God say? He says, look among the nations. Could it be that we think we have God in a box? 
God, I know you're concerned with this little nation right here. This is, this is where you operate. These are your chosen people. God, this is what you're concerned with. And God says, I'm the God over all nations, all peoples. I'm a God who can use whom I wish. I'm a God who operates beyond your borders. And God knows our inclinations to think that he's concerned about the little nation of Israel or the little nation of the USA. And God knows our inclinations to think that he will bring justice and peace, well, through our nation, because we just happen to be the best nation in the world. And so he prepares Habakkuk. He says, this is going to make you really wonder. It's going to stretch your mind out. It's going to surprise you. It's going to astonish you. But then look at what he says in that second part of verse 5. It is very important. It's what you need to hear. It's what Habakkuk needs to hear. He says, for I am doing a work in your days. Friends, that's what Habakkuk asked. That's what you need. That's what I need. Habakkuk is crying. It's so messed up, God. Babies are being harvested and sold to the highest bidder. Your church is condoning sin and acting like it's okay. Your, your people are being persecuted like crazy. Bad people are in control at high places. The courts are calling bad good and good bad. God, are you at work? And God says, yes. Yes, I'm at work. Do you need to hear that? God says, yes, I am at work. You need to know that God is at work. The psalmist writes, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, but he who keeps you will not slumber. God never sleeps. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Habakkuk is reminded by God what we need to be reminded of today. Look what God says, too. I love it. Wonder. Be astounded. You're not going to believe it. You obviously don't because you can't see it. But I am at work, says God. But then look at what God says. It is something that is truly beyond belief for Habakkuk. Here's what God says. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces go forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men, whose own might is their God. Again, here's what God's just said. Habakkuk has asked, look at all this turmoil, God, and God, are you anywhere to be found? And God's like, wrong, I am to be found, just look at the Chaldeans. 
God gives us some wonderful insights about these beautiful people. I'm maybe using a little sarcasm, but they said, God says they're bitter and hasty. One commentator says, chimes in on this and they says, they are a fierce nation, swayed by violent impulses which will commit terrible deeds without forethought. Just in case if you need to be reminded of what was just said in all these verses, they steal homes, they're dreaded and fearsome, their armies are fast, quick, and efficient, they're violent, they take captives, they don't respect kings, they take over fortresses like they're nothing, and they're just all around mighty. Well, that's very comforting, isn't it? Here's what God has done. He says, you think Judah is bad? And you wonder where I'm at? Well, Babylon, or the Chaldeans, are worse, and I want you to direct your focus there. It is there I will be using them for judgment. You see, God did respond. Habakkuk asks, are you at work? And he says, yes, I am at work. But before Habakkuk could ask how, God says he is at work through the Chaldeans. What? The... The Chaldeans, they're not Jewish. They don't worship God. They don't do good things. They're, they're more unjust. You're supposed to be a good God. Well, we're going to talk about these questions next week. But as for right now, right now, here's what I want you to see again. God's first answer, yes. I am at work. Did God solve Habakkuk's crisis? Did he give him words of comfort? Are things going to get better? You know, God may have not answered all those things, but what he did say to Habakkuk is, for I am doing a work in your days. And what I love, too, is that the book goes on. You see, Habakkuk continues to talk with God. You see, again, Habakkuk is a believer. God is Yahweh. God is Habakkuk's God. Though he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, etc., Habakkuk says, he is Yahweh. He is. He's saying, you are my God. Is God your God? Or is it only your God when things are going good? When things aren't hard to understand, or things aren't too difficult? Habakkuk's God is a God that can be talked to, is a God that will have discussion, is a God that comes to Habakkuk's level and responds. Can you do that? Do you have the comfort, the ability, the, the desire to not assume bad things about God, but to ask God things that, that seems to conflict with what he's said about himself? Can you talk to God, or do you talk to God? Or do you ignore God? Well, what if he doesn't respond? Or what if he does what he does here and he responds and it's a little discomforting? Friends, is it discomforting to hear that God is at work? As for me, I don't think so. Where is God? He is working. Already working. One thing that I pray in my life, in my own life, with complete trust is that I always thank God that what concerns me usually concerns him more. 
What is a, a burden I'm on my heart? He's already at work. I'm not talking about, oh, Lord, I'm so sad I don't have a Lamborghini. I'm talking about, oh, Lord, I'm so sad babies are dying every day. This friend of mine is wayward. And because the God tells me in his word that he is a God who hates injustice and wants all people to come to him, I trust and know that like he says to Habakkuk, he is at work. He is already at work. Do you need that for your own life today? God is at work. And so the question becomes is where are you? We've asked where God's at, but where are you? Are you at work too with God or are you at work against God? Have you wandered away and asked God where he went? Let me ask that question again. Maybe you didn't catch it. Have you wandered away and asked God where he's at? Or do you know where God's at because you're at his side? You know, I, I just it's a pet peeve of mine. I've met people in the church who are having hard times with God, and it seems like that they're just taking all the necessary things they need to do to let themselves believe that God isn't real. It seems like, you know, well, why are you struggling? Well, you know, this thing happened in my life, and I don't know if I can trust God. Well, are you reading the Bible? Well, no, since I've kind of lost faith, I don't want to read the Bible. Well, are you praying about it? Well, no, because I feel like God's done me wrong. Well, that's great. You're giving God no opportunity to tell you what happened. You're giving God no opportunity to prove to you that he is a good God who loves you and cares for you. So one more time, have you wandered away? And ask God where he went. Or do you know where he's at? Because you're by his side. God, where are you? At work. That's where I'm at. I'm at work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Habakkuk has this faith in you that I wish to have. Sometimes I admit that I might not. Lord, I'm so grateful that Habakkuk doesn't look around at all the injustice and then just automatically assume that you've left or automatically assume that you don't care. But he comes to you with concerns because he knows historically these are things that usually concern you. And Father, you didn't fail him. You didn't tell him otherwise. You didn't make his worst nightmare come true by saying, yeah, I don't care. No, you said you are at work. And it may not be in the ways that we always like to hear you're at work. Father, you tell Habakkuk the painful truth that you're at work, but you're at work with Judah's enemies. Father, it brings me hope to know that however or wherever you're at work, you are at work. It may not be in the way that I think it should be, but that's because I'm not God. And I don't see everything that you see. Father, I thank you that you're at work in our lives. You're at work in the painful tragedies that... Take, overtake our nation right now. Lots of people sinning, myself included. So I ask for your forgiveness, and I ask for your, I ask for faith, which really translates as to trust. Father, do I trust you? Help me to have more trust in your ways, in your will, in your goodness. Father, if there's anybody in here right now who's like Habakkuk and has tough questions on their heart but has been afraid to ask them, I pray that this would be a place where they can give you an opportunity to speak up. Whether it be through reading your word, whether it be through praying, 
however you would wish to speak to them. I pray that they would have faith to know that you would respond. Lord, we ask and pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.